Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I am excited to have Kelly Capic on the podcast with me today. Um, I, I've seen a variety of books come out in recent weeks, months, you know, last couple of years about being human, you know, and what is that about? What does that really mean? How are we to live into that, mm. et cetera? So we're going to get into that um, today on the podcast. Honestly, I didn't think about this before I booked this podcast, but I also think it's uh, that the timing of our recording and release of this is interesting because it's happening during Lent. Now, I know people, mm. you know, listen to podcasts um, uh, maybe a year from now or two months from now, and maybe it's not even in that season, but just so you know, it's recorded and released mm. in that season. And I think that's um, kind of cool. And I think it connects, certainly. So um, back to my guest, Kelly Capic. Uh, the name of his book is You're Only Human, How Your Limits Reflect God's Design and Why That's Good News. Whew, I'm glad that it's good news. And maybe sometimes we are asking ourselves, is it good news? Well, Kelly Capic says it is. Um, Kelly, welcome to Faith Conversations. Oh, thanks for having me. This is great. And um, before we go any further, people who are unfamiliar with you, um, I, I'm going to ask you to do uh, your own bio today. What do mm. you want people to know about you when you, you know, when your name is raised in conversation? What do you hope people are saying? Oh, <laughs> which which those I don't, are two I don't know. Things, I, thought, right? I thought we were going one way. You know, <laughs> I know. I those thought are you were two different about things. my story, and that sounds a little different. So. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. I, I hope it's it. not a bunch of curse words. That's there the main thing. You. I hope. You know? <laughs> That's so funny. I'll, I'll bring it back to bio. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I hope here. I hope they say, "Wow, that is a she is a wonderful theologian." Because I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. You're right. You're right. So, That's so good. Right. Um. Yeah. I'm. Some of your listeners who are a little older will know uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. I was born and raised in Lodi, California. and uh, <sighs> But my wife and I, I, you know, these are long stories, right? But uh, my wife and I and kids um, have been in Lookout Mountain, Georgia for the last <sighs> uh, 20 years. And um, we haven't lived in California in almost 30. Uh, yeah, my wife and I got married in 1993. God's been faithful to us in different ways. Um, some that might relate to this podcast is um, we have two kids. One's in We were married nine years before we had them. One's in college and, and one's a junior in high school. But in 2008, my wife got cancer and by God's grace, um, kept her and sustained her and was declared cancer free sometime later. But since 2010, she deals with pretty serious chronic pain and fatigue. So that's a big part of our story. And wow. so I wrote a book called Embodied Hope with her encouragement. Mm. And that was really about, it's a theological meditation on pain and suffering. But it was only after writing that book that actually I felt ready, even though I'd been thinking about this for 20 years, but finally felt ready to talk about the goodness of being a creature. 
If that oh, makes sense. In other words, yes, interesting. In, or, in order to lament, we need to know it's reasonable to do so because things are not all good and we can sense that they should be. <laughs> wow. I love that introduction. And, you know, as I'm listening to you say that, I, I'm thinking, oh, you're a teacher, you're a professor, and you are. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. absolutely are. You didn't even mention that, um, but you're a professor of theological studies at Covenant College. When you said mm. Lookout Mountain, I'm like, some people are going ding, ding, ding. Maybe he's a professor there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. um, and how long have you been a professor there? Has it been the whole 20 years? Yeah, there? it's been 20. That's what brought us here. We were in London yeah. where I finished my PhD before. And um, yeah. Ooh, did you enjoy your time in London? We did. We had we had great years in London. We were also ready to we weren't sure if we would, you know, want to yeah. just stay, but we were ready to come home. Um, yeah. but it was a rich time there for sure. Wow. Learned a lot. My life changed with three weeks in um England, Scotland, and Wales. Mm. And I have forever been a drinker of um either Irish or Scottish. My favorite now is Scottish breakfast tea. Ah, uh, yes. Just love it. Steep it for seven minutes. It has to have <laughs> milk and uh, sugar. I use stevia, but anyway, um, every morning. Yeah, you know how it is too, because uh, in America, even sometimes when you buy the British brands, it's not the same. Ugh. You know, the tea, you have to get the actual get the good tea stuff, meant man. for Britain. Yeah. yeah. And they, my, they, my... <laughs> I heard jokes about that. Well, and my husband, he, he just gives me a hard time. He, uh, I, I rarely order tea when I'm out because, you know, it's got, I want it to steep seven minutes. <laughs> I don't have something to cover it over with and rarely yeah, do they so then it's cold. Pot. It's yeah. cold. He's, you know, if he hears me order tea, he, he said, Oh, my life is over. I just, he, he you know, braces for the, he does. He braces yeah. for this. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, um, we are here today to talk about your current book and uh, topic of, um, you're only human. Hmm. And I don't think we even love hearing that phrase sometimes, right. Especially in, uh, let's say in North America, Yeah, in North America, I mean, we a are a of, driven culture. We are, we are. And this is, this is a book of, for me working through things, but also for, I work with college students and I, you know, in ministry and speaking and stuff, I'm engaging with people in different seasons of life. And, um, I think we're exhausted and I think we are worn out. And as a theologian, part of what I'm interested in and have been working through for a long time is how we confuse finitude and sin. Finitude is a fancy word. I know we don't use it a lot these days. If you do know, you might think it means death, but actually it just means limits. It's a fancy way of saying we are limited in space, time, knowledge, and power. Or another way of saying it is it's just a fancy way of saying we're creatures. And I think as Christians, we feel guilty a lot for being creatures and we don't tend to ask God's forgiveness for it, but we feel this constant weight. And so that's me trying to work through, listen, God doesn't need you to be superhuman, doesn't need you to be the smartest, the brightest, the best. the full. So it's, it's working through the implications of God really likes creation and he really likes human creatures and he doesn't need you to be different than a human creature. So that gives you a taste of it. Well, I love that. I mean, immediately I kind of uh, relax in hearing you say yeah. that, Yes, you know, initially I'm thinking, 
ah, you're only human. Oh no, I'm going to have to ramp up to something. I'm tired of ramping up to something. And yeah. I will say this, I'm an Enneagram trainer. You may or may not mm. like the Enneagram. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I think of my Enneagram three friends who mm. are maybe the most achiever oriented on right. the spectrum there. And, um, constantly feeling like they need to be superhuman or certain yeah. people and personalities feel that way. And I do think that the West, the Western world has a predisposition for that and presses us that way yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I do think, you know, it'd be an interesting exercise to kind of go through the Enneagram, uh, which I do think there are strengths and weaknesses. I think it's very helpful for, for promoting conversation, but, um, you could use that as an exercise of going through the different numbers and seeing how we wow. respond yeah. to the struggle of being a creature and being finite. And I think it is a struggle for all of us, especially in the West, but it probably manifests quite differently given different personalities. I agree. You know, extroverts and introverts and all of that. So. Absolutely agree. And I think it's interesting. You kind of alluded to this because you're, you're a college professor, but um, you say in the book one, that one of the areas you had not planned to investigate while doing research mm. for this book, um, but which proved truly significant was the American educational system. Yeah. And I, I'm 61. I, I have a 29 year old, so he's done with uh, college and, and grad school. But I remember even as he was coming into high school and beyond thinking, wow, this was not the way it was when I was in um, high school yeah. and college. I did not feel pressed upon at all. In fact, he yeah. said, no, he cut out, he had a full ride for um, PhD and cut it um, off after a master's. He said, I just, I need a break. <laughs> I need a break. I can't, I yeah. just, no. And so, so speak to this, that a little bit. I mean, yeah, I, it's, it's a fascinating thing because, you know, part of the reason I'm very sensitive to it is I deal with college students all the time. And I've been listening for, for a long time, trying to understand and even with my own kids. And so the average, you know, a fairly typical high school, and I should say this tends to be private school or affluent, um, school. So there, there is a more nuance we would want to put on it, but nevertheless, what is fairly common in those settings is that a kid heads off to, to school 7, 7.30 in the morning. They're there working, in listening, absorbing, working till 3.30. Then they immediately head off to an extracurricular activity. It's a sport, theater, something like that. And that, like at 6, they head home, they shove down some dinner, and then they basically do homework or something like that until bed. And... Um, and I know I'm not naive. I know they're doing phone and all that kind of stuff. And that's, a, that's another question to explore. Um, but anyways, the students are exhausted and we train people. I, I, I had lunch with a student uh, a couple of years ago and she brought me a color coded uh, map of her week. In other oh, words, no. every hour of the week was mapped out with different Whoa. colors. And on it, she had included everything that people say she should do. Things like you should sleep for eight hours. You should sit down and enjoy a meal with people, not just rush through it. You should, you know, and all the shoulds and, and it literally is impossible. But if you've had 20 years of training like that, and then you graduate, 
we now think you've got to fill every moment of the day. Otherwise, you're not you're not good. You're not wise. You're not, you know, and, and part of the point of the book is I think we've confused productivity and efficiency with goodness. Oh, I, and I productivity like that. and efficiency aren't God's highest values. Say, say that again, say that whole thing. I think I we've confused. And then yeah. what you just said about God. Yeah. Well, I think we confuse productivity and efficiency with God's highest values and they're not. Um, and, and so we, feel like unless we're producing and being quick about things and getting more done, we're not being good. We're not being faithful. And, and that's where, when I alluded to like people in their phones and the internets, we always bash, look at how much time people spend on the you know internet or their binge watch shows. But rather than blaming those things, I'm actually quite interested in seeing them as a sign of a deeper problem. I, I was just reading that. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I'm on the page reading that right now. What if rather than serving as the cause of our problems, right? This yep. kind of mind numbing stuff that we do, the draw of mind numbing screen time was a sign of a deeper malady. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, interestingly enough, the, the podcast that released just last week before mm. yours um, was talking about um, restless devices, how we mm. interact with the technology in our lives. And I, I mean, yes, there is the deeper underlying um, issue. Um, yeah, when we're struggling with things, we should always rather, you know, whether it's an addiction of some kind or something, we, we should be exploring what, rather than just like, you need better internet filters or, or you know, a better relationship with food what's the deeper thing going on it's there? It's always right? about the deeper thing. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> what I'm saying is we need to get really deep because I there's an Eastern Orthodox theologian I was reading recently who said, in our secular age, the problem isn't so much that people have forgotten that God exists. It's that they don't, they've forgotten what it means to be human. And I agree with that. I actually think when Christians want to explain their faith to others, one of the things we should be talking about is what does it really mean to be human? in a beautiful, healthy, rest-inducing, you know, kind of way that it's not that we don't work, we don't make contributions, but how I actually think Christianity can present a humane view of life in a very inhumane world. That's a mouthful right there. I love that statement. I don't know if that's if that statement is written somewhere in the book, but that's a great one. <laughs> the, the spirit of it is there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you really, you have me thinking in many ways, um, two, two thoughts here. Um, one, um, many months ago, I can't remember when, but I was reading some of the marks of a healthy disciple. And mm. I, I love this. One of them is accepting God's gift of limits. Yeah, that's right. And I, that's I'm good. like, Oh yes. And, and so, and then your book comes along mm. and I'm like, oh, okay. And this is now fleshed out, you know, this I was just reading kind of a list of seven mm. of these marks, but here this is fleshed out completely in your book. Then secondarily, that brings to my mind that for years I did a radio talk show and, and um, the kind of the treadmill of that and, and anyone, anyone in any field can relate. It's just different yeah. in, in our fields. Right. But that treadmill of new topic, new guest every day. And, um, no way can I read a whole book right. every day, but I thought I should, could, right. <laughs> would all, you know, all this stuff. And then people are like, Oh, you didn't read my book. And, <laughs> and of course you learn how to be a good skimmer and all. Right. 
but just that um, that treadmill of um, also mass humanity. It's like, okay, I'm speaking this, me and my guests are speaking this out into the air to a boatload of people, but what does being human look like for me? So fast forward, I am in semi-retirement. My husband's 10 years older than me. So I'm 61, he's 71. And um, I lead a very different life where, and I have come to love one-on-one coffees, Mm. teaching a small groups of women and let's go for coffee and talk, Mm. being a spiritual director, one-on-one listening to people's lives, very different than, and a much slower, which Mm. has been an adjustment life, but Mm. I feel like it's so much more human and I, I feel more relaxed yeah. As a person, I'll let you give thoughts or observations about that. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And going in all the right directions. I mean, when we talk about being humane, it is about being human. Let me, let me start with your first reflection. So there's a whole chapter on humility and people might, you know, what is that about? But, um, that was really fun to, you know, I've written some about it before, but this was a time for me to think more carefully about it. And um, here's the big aha moment and why it relates with humility is Christian. I mean, everybody, even if you're not a Christian knows it, we should be humble. Mm -hmm. But theologically, the question is, what's the foundation for humility? Why should we be humble? And by and large, the answer we often give is because we're sinners. We're bad. So we should be humble. Well, the truth is, I I'm a theologian. I, I believe we are sinners and that, you know, is can contribute to why we should be humble. However, from a Christian perspective, even if there were no sin or fall, we should be humble because we're creatures. In other words, humility should be built on the doctrine of creation, not the doctrine of sin. And that has huge implications, that little adjustment, because if you want to foster humility and you think it's built on sin, then the way you become more humble is to focus on your sin. But if you, if you understand, no, 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 God made us as creatures, even before there was sin or fall, that meant by design, I'm made to depend on God. I'm made to depend on others. I'm made to be dependent on the earth. All of that dependence is not bad. Think of how in our culture, we dependence is always a bad word. Dependence is part of the good way God made us. Um, Sin is what, twist and perverts all of those dependencies, but I'm made to need others and others need me and, and, and all of that. So once you see that, then the way you can foster humility is not by focusing on how terrible you are, but on the good gifts others bring <laughs> and celebrating others. It's actually humility is life-giving. It's, it's enjoy, it's freedom. And as you learn to celebrate others rather than see them as a threat, or that you need to dominate or manipulate them, you can actually lower your shoulders and rest more. Does that make sense? Oh uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'm just listening to you say it and I feel like my shoulders are dropping. Mm, that's good. <laughs> you know, and it, and it feels really good. Well, one of the things I want to say here before we get too much further as well, is that, that you've broken the, this conversation down into two parts as you write about it in the book you know, the, the first part, the particularity and limits, mm. 
Um, and then you move into healthy dependence. Mm. Um, how, why, I mean, why does that make for good division? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's part of it is, I think where the first part on the, on particularity and limits is exploring how comfortable are we with our limits? And so I have two chapters really exploring the importance of our bodies. I think we have pretty complicated relationships with our bodies. Oh, I, you can, <laughs> I would love for you to talk just a little bit on that. Yeah. I've not been able to get anyone on the podcast um, recently or uh, that's, that's really doing a good job talking about our bodies. Yeah. I mean, we... <laughs> We struggle in all kinds of ways, but as a theologian, one of the things I would just say is, so, so the subtitle um, for one of those chapters is Praise God for Mary. Saw that. I saw yeah, it's, it's actually kind of, as I'm a, I happen to be a Protestant and grew up as a Roman Catholic, I happen to be Protestant, but I think there's an, it's an example of like ignoring importance of scripture and anyways, um, the birth of Christ, Jesus in the womb of Mary, is incredibly significant because it is God's great reaffirmation of his creation. Mm. Um, and I think we struggle Good. to believe that the God of creation is the same as the God of redemption. And he doesn't hate his creation. He's interested in renewing and rescuing his creation. And the stunning idea mm. is that God, the Father sending the Son and the Spirit, takes on his creation, becomes creature as man. He assumes a human nature, becoming like us in all ways without sin. So in other words, having a body in no way is sinful or bad. Um, and so just starting to tease out those implications are quite significant. Um, there's another chapter, second chapter on, on that explores the importance of touch. This is partly why sexual abuse and other kinds of abuse are so horrific but the answer to that can't be we don't touch each other right yeah it has to be godly healthy touch and appropriate yeah. all of that but even exploring things like the biblical idea of the kiss of peace mm. uh, anyway there's so there's so much there but maybe that gives you enough to kind of taste that the put it this way we we all know okay jesus is really human but i don't think we really believe it yeah yeah yes. like let's talk about his you know going through puberty or whatever it is yes. no no he's really human and our discomfort with jesus's humanity reveals our discomfort with our own humanity and so, so only uh, when we start to believe he's truly human can we affirm that we can be human so yeah. so do we kind of get stuck uh adam and eve were tossed out of the garden of eden humans must be bad we sort of kind of go yep. there and then get stuck there. And that that's a piece of that, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it's a huge, it's yeah. a huge piece because the fact that creation has been compromised doesn't mean everything is just terrible, right? It does mean even with our bodies, um, the cancer that, that goes is not good. Right. We're not saying that we're not, I mean, the great hope is one day there will be no tears, no yep. pain and suffering. But the great hope is not anti-physicality, right? right. Uh, it is Orthodox, standard Orthodox. This is Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Protestant, that to the, to the once the son assumes a human nature, he remains human. He mm -hmm. is still human. And now it's a really fascinating theological question. Where is Jesus? And I know everyone's like at the right hand of the father and you have to, where is that? But anyways, <laughs> I will just tell your listeners without getting into all that, 
the continuing humanity of Jesus actually really matters. That's why you have a sympathetic high priest. Oh, oh wow. I feel like we're just touching know, on things I'm... that deserve much more time. <laughs> Me too. I'm yeah. sitting here going, do I go down that trail or do I carry on? Oh, and that, um, so, so this brought up a, another thought for me. I don't know if you have ever seen or heard of the series. Um, it's kind of out there on its own app or Amazon prime, maybe the chosen. Yes. I've heard of it. I've, okay. I've seen like one or two episodes. Yeah. So I, we had, my husband and I had mm. so many people recommend it and we were very much digging in our heels kind of like, right. yeah, yeah, whatever. It's going to be, it's Christian produced by Christians. Cheesy it's going to be crappy, like, yeah. whatever. <laughs> Cheesy. So <laughs> I didn't say that to my friends, but yeah. so I, we started watching it and we also could not get into the first two episodes. And he had a client who said, he's a spiritual director. Also my husband, he, who said, start with episode three. Hmm. So, okay. We're going to give this one more try started with episode three. It's with Jesus and children. <laughs> oh my goodness. Hmm. We were, we looked over at each other and we're like tearing up and mm. <laughs> my husband goes, darn it all. I thought yeah. this was going to be a junkie Christian production. It's really right. good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 That's good. So he started now. And I think, uh, several things are happened that are done really well. And one is the portrayal of the humanity of Jesus. Right. Uh, beautifully done. We're, we're not yeah. finished it now. We're just kind of chipping our way through it, but right but I'm really glad we went back and gave it another look actually. Yeah, like, no, it, we didn't want to like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do think, I do think the humanity of Jesus, it does often take our imaginations to actually go there and to give yourself from it. It's, it's kind of like um, the passion of the Christ, you know, Mel Gibson's yes, uh, right. movie, which, you know, there's some kind of controversy or whatever, but I would say part of probably the most or one of the most moving scenes in the whole movie for those who've seen it is actually when Jesus has a it's kind of thinking back when he was a little kid and he's running and he falls and Mary is going to him and the reason why that little Mary going you know concern for her son falling is so moving is people are like wait a minute you mean Jesus had to grow up he didn't just pop out of heaven as a 30 33 year old right. you know that kind of thing yes and it those moments are interesting to me as a the theologian because as i'm watching people react i think you guys we don't believe he was really human yeah. is really human and that has implications for us yeah well and i think in this series that we're watching there are moments of laughter and mm. there there was a moment yeah, of that right. in the passion of the christ movie as mm. well i and it yes it just it helped capture our imaginations, take it places we couldn't seem to right. go ourselves. And, um, and when we read the text of scripture, I, um, it, it's like when we send each other's texts or emails, you know, the words are flat on the page and mm. uh, spiritual practices to, to, that can kind of help bring scripture to life, et cetera, all of that. But, but we tend to read it more flatly. We don't, we can't, see was there laughter or sarcasm yeah. and, and sometimes it's because we don't understand the culture there are all kinds of things at play but i think when we're helped to move into those spaces through some creative means it it, it is just that extremely helpful for our view of jesus uh, in his humanity right yeah i mean it, it's fascinating because people say well why doesn't the bible record jesus laughing um why doesn't it say you know 
this or that. Well, <laughs> here, here's the thing. It's actually evidence of just how human he is. You don't, the newspaper gives you highlights. It doesn't tell you when someone goes to the bathroom. Right. It doesn't tell you when someone laughs at a good joke. Right. It tells you what's strange, what's noteworthy, what's different. Yeah. So the Bible doesn't tell you all of these things, not because they're not true. It's because everybody assumed them. They're not right? right. If Jesus never had a bowel movement, that's worth telling people about, right? <laughs> that's problematic. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and people think that sounds irreverent. No, no, no. Underst that is actually only when you take that seriously, will you understand the beauty of God's love for us? So yes. in the book, I talk about Tertullian in the, in the, one of the early church fathers talking about this. And he spends all this time talking about afterbirth that Jesus from Mary, Jesus is born with the afterbirth. And the reason he's doing that is because there are these very spiritual people who are like, that can't be God. And he just takes what we're most nervous about and squeamish about. Yeah. And he drives it home and says, no, no, no. God is not embarrassed by this stuff. He loves what he made. Mm -hmm. And so he enters in. Um, so talking about afterbirth is legitimate and important to knowing what this God is like. And, and I think this also brings up and is important to have as part of the conversation, our sacred imagination, if you will. Yeah. We have not yeah. been taught well how yeah. to engage our imagination with mm. scripture. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, a piece of it. And I, you know, and I'm my the podcast listeners to faith conversations know it's a drum I beat about spiritual yeah, no, practices. Um, so I think it's it's important. Uh I, I so I'm currently watching a series on TV or I, I think it's on Disney plus, and I don't even know how I got started with it, but on a couple of zoos, zoo Tampa, and then to zoo in Columbus. And I started thinking as I, as I was looking forward to this conversation today that, and I don't know if this illustration really carries through, you might be able to help <laughs> with the logic of it here, sure. Kelly, but, um, I'm, but I'm watching these zookeepers in their amazing care of the animals. And I'm, and I'm thinking about God and humanity and, you know, it, it does not fully equate, mm. but, but they're, you know, watching, or, or maybe it's just a parent with child, whatever, just watching for growth and change and illness and, but taking mm. tender, deep care and, and also just thinking these are, creatures. And I think my elevation of the importance of the care of creatures, mm. it, it, that's happening as I watch this as well. Somehow, I think mm. it's connected to this conversation. Maybe yeah, be, help me yeah. make that leap here. Well, I mean, it's just connected to um, Christians need a stronger doctrine of creation. All right. And so one of the things I argue is that, you know, Christians, We'll often say no, no, no. We talk. We care about creation. We we believe it. We talk about it all the time. But in the last 150 years, so much of the time when Christians think they're talking about creation, the only thing they're talking about is when did God make the earth and how did He do it? And, and those are not even the most important questions. And, and by how, reducing, how old is the earth? If we don't, right, that's that what right, I mean. Like, how right old there. is it, and how did he do it? What's the right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that those are never legitimate questions, but they're not number one and two by any means. So it, we actually don't have a 
develop doctrine of creation. So we don't know what it means to relate to animals, but, or how do we think about our bodies or what does it mean to that when I'm doing my job as an accountant or when I'm a teacher at school, does that matter to God? Or is the only thing that matters to God when I'm evangelizing? The reason that's hard for us is we don't have a doctrine of creation. We don't actually think that he cares about anything. That's really good. Yes. Yes. And that most of life is lived in the mundane. Yeah. You know, those creatures, that's what it's supposed to be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm just sort of like waking up myself. I mean, I know this. No, no, that's stuff. great. I no, do I... know this, but but to have you say it, it's so helpful. We do not have a good doctrine of of creation. Yeah. Well, and I think of the stream of evangelicalism that I was raised in, um, which I you know I would do not adhere to in the same way that I was certainly that I once mm. did. Um, was uh, you know all of the end times right. theologies that oh, what does it matter? how we care for creation because we're going to be sucked up out of here. Right, right, right. <laughs> so forget creation. And while yeah. that's got its own real, real damage that it, I think yeah. has done. Right. Yeah. Let me, let me take us in a different direction because Good. I know you care about spiritual formation and soul care. Another aspect of this. So one of the chapters is um, why doesn't God instantly change me? Mm. That's actually related to the view of creation. So why doesn't God, when he saves us, when, when we're, all of us know we've got sin in our lives. We've got areas of shortcomings. We wish we were better or more disciplined, you know, whatever it is. And it's a legitimate question. Like, why doesn't God just save us? Does he just stop after forgiving us? Well, that's a hard issue for us because we don't have a view of creation. So to take it back, it's very interesting. I, I definitely believe that God could have created the entire world in a millisecond or faster. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm a theologian. I don't know anything about science. So whatever the fastest <laughs> yeah. is, right? God, God. But what the narrative tells you, whatever it actually means, is God who could do it instantly takes his time. Whether it's seven trillion years or seven, six day, 24, whatever actually is irrelevant to the point. God is comfortable with process Mm. and, and the spirit who hovers over the chaotic waters is bringing order in the original creation. And that same spirit is working in our lives and sanctification. So God is not panicked by our struggle and we feel defeated. So, but God's very comfortable with process. I love that. He began a good work in us. He's going to carry it into completion but we shouldn't panic because God's not panicked. And he actually, one of, one of my best friends is, is an artist and a painter. And he's also a professor. And one of the main things he's trying to get students to realize is as an artist process matters. It's not just the end product. And I think as Christians, uh, we, we need that. Wow. I love that. Um, God is very comfortable with process. And we are so busy thinking about, oh, I need to get to the end result. I need to be the best me immediately so I can do for God. Yeah. Right. It comes back uh, often Mm -hmm. to that being with God versus doing for God. Right. I know that both are are part of the equation, but um, we are so um, much about the doing. Yeah. Um, well, and even even just, you know, to 
I wish we talked more about faithfulness oh. rather than just like perfection or something like that. Like it, it God, God is with us in and through these things. That's the point that he's faithful. And so he is working and um, he's just very, it's the same again. When the son takes on a human nature, he doesn't show up as a 30 year old. He mm-hmm. goes through the process of maturing and Jesus in Mary's arms as a six month old, couldn't speak 12 languages because yeah. he's really human, right? This again yeah. matters for us. So, so what, good. what does this God who's comfortable with process? What does that mean for our lives? Yes. I, I love that. I, um, I don't always pick a word for the year. Some people mm. do that and that's yeah, the yeah. thing they love, but, but for this year, um, a, a word that I have gravitated toward is faithfulness mm. and I've not, it's good. And, and I, so I love that you raised that, um, I was, I was thinking of it more, what I was thinking of it was what does faithfulness look like in my life? And one of the things that I realized was, well, it looks slow and plodding and that's not a bad thing. Mm, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Faithfulness doesn't tend to be flashy, right? (laughs) And, uh, that, you know, but we have, it's kind of like when you were saying earlier about, you know, going so hard and feeling like you should read everybody's book, you know, a book a day. And, you know, many of your listeners have probably recently listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And one of the things on there, you know, is Driscoll used to say, yeah, I read a book every day. Well, that's absurd. But I yes. think it's almost like we are like, well, maybe he does. Yes. Cause we are so uncomfortable with the fact of our limits but then by romanticizing people like that, it actually kind of hurts all of us, right? Preach. And so being faithful and being slower and being recognizing I'm good at this and not good at that, that's all. doesn't mean you never do anything that you're not good at. It's just faithfulness changes the conversation. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And I think, you know, social media has been a contributor, of course, because we compare our um, insides to other people's outsides. So yes. I like to say, yeah. you know, and that's like lose, lose. That's just yeah. not, yeah. not smart. And, and it's just kind of built in and we do it, you know, not even thinking of course too. Yeah. I mean, even going back to some of the body stuff we were talking about, part of the book and the research where it took me is, you know, we're, we're pretty familiar now with women struggling with body image. And so I talked some about that, but actually I also talk about, there's a lot of growing evidence of men. It is devastating, right? So it's kind of like, we've realized, listen, we objectify women. That's terrible. But rather than addressing that, let's just objectify men too. And that's what's happened, right? So now we're all just miserable together. (laughs) And so I, I, but it's, it's fascinating, right? There's pastoral importance to exploring that. Absolutely. You know, I, I, so I've, we've been all over the map. There's so much in Mm. your book. You're only human. Um, I could talk on, I love, uh, love this, but one of my questions for you, um, and and I didn't ask this at the outset. Yeah. I mean, you've answered it in part maybe about the, the why of writing this, but so I'll ask kind of on the the back end, what is your hope? you know, you have your reasons for writing this and they're, 
you know, integral to um, why you would spend the time and effort mm. and energy and addressing this and studying, researching. But, but what is your hope for, for someone that's reading this? What do you hope they come out the other side of the book thinking or saying, or what kind of shifts might you hope would take place in them? Yes, thank you. That's a great question. Um, you know, the book only came out January 18th. And then and, and one, one person who knows me well wrote and said, I just finished it. And I can see you wrote this for yourself. Right. And, and he's right. Right. Most it's authors very, I think do. Right. It's very personal. It's like the suffering book, but my, so it is personal. I have been thinking about this topic for 20 years, but it's for me, it's because when I put my head on the pillow at night, so often I just feel guilty. What, and, and what's interesting is what do I feel guilty about? It doesn't tend to be sins. It's what I didn't get done. Right. So I I'm very interested in, for me already, some of the meaningful notes I'm getting are, you know, a woman who's listening to it on, you know, the audible version and said, she's just in the carpool lane crying, you know, and I, I, these kind of notes or the business person, I, it's the architect. It's for me, when people say it, it's like coming up, I've heard I, a number of people said, it feels like coming up out of water when I was suffocating. I'm finally taking a deep breath Oh, I or my shoulders that. are going down. So my great hope is people will breathe more deeply and actually start as as individuals, as families, and as churches to think differently about what faithfulness, what does it look like to be a Christian and to be truly human? I, I think we have a massive problem on our hands. And my great hope, and I know this is overly ambitious, but is this book could be a small help in trying to reverse some of that. Do you think this would be a good book for people to read and discuss together? Yeah, we've, there's already, and there is a study guide out there Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. yeah. We can, Brazos can send you, I can send you the link to that. Um, that nice. They can I'll just put that in the show notes. Yeah, That'd yeah. But um, yeah. yes, it's actually, it would be really great for Sunday school or small groups mm -hmm. to read a chapter a week and talk mm -hmm. about it. And my experience has been, there's plenty to talk about in a chapter. Um, so, yeah. You, you have, I mean, this, you've really been highlighting, I think what has been happening to my husband and I, mm. without me knowing it in this semi-retirement journey and coming mm. off of a driven kind of career and recognizing that, um, and yeah, and you said it, well, laying your head on the pill, pillow feeling guilty. I have had come to grips with, oh, God is giving me the gift of some margin where I can mm. go to a place here in Sarasota called the celery fields and right. watch birds and, yeah. and, or walk in this garden. And you know, that, that he's giving me this gift and some, and it's, sometimes it's hard to accept that. Yeah. Cause we, yeah, that I don't it's, think I, I mean, the implications are peace. Yeah. The implication, this is why we don't pray, right? Prayer is like a, it's not just, I know we all feel guilty. We should pray more, but honestly, it's because we don't think it's doing anything. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it yeah. is a waste of time, right? Our right? last resort, right? It's this kind of, and, but also just, um, the frenzied activity. And, and you mentioned the word margin, which is so important. Well, Part of the problem when we're driven by efficiency and productivity is you have no margin. And the reason why that matters is you can't actually love very well then. Oh, right? 
that this is all at the heart this is all about love that's what it's about and you can't love i feel like it's like that yes. that moment where the angels all sing <laughs> amen yes you can't love. Right. oh my goodness there it is folks that's why you buy and read this book you're only human oh wow um such um and it, enlightening, encouraging, hopeful, helpful conversation. All of those descriptors, Kelly. Kelly Capic. Thank you very much. Um, thank you for your time and for this writing this. You're only human. How your limits reflect God's design and why that's good news. Well, again, thanks for being here. And as always, I say to everyone else, keep the conversation going.